everybody. You're listening to Funny Feelings Podcast. I'm Liza Ruckel. And I'm Maria Guyman. Today's episode, we're going to talk about fertility. Most fertility clinics cater to straight couples. And in today's episode, we're going to dive into the particular needs and difficulties that arise around fertility in the queer community. We're going to approach this topic by listening to the incredible story of a person from whom we can learn a lot about perseverance, humor, and the power of community. Our first guest will introduce himself. So I'm Dico. I have been using male pronouns for the last like 10 years or so. Um, I'm a native New Yorker. Um, I uh, had been scared of getting pregnant for the longest time because of like how gendered it was. But within the last like three years or so, I've maybe it was my body. I don't know what it was, but something in me was like, nah, actually, you ought to try to get pregnant. And I've been trying to get pregnant. I have a visceral memory of you being like, I want to be on this podcast and I want people like me to know about what is out there. And yeah. you were so passionate about it. It was so important for you. So yeah, like, tell us. You know, we know, I, I know exactly one trans friend, like one trans couple, like friends that have kids, like one, and they just had a daughter like a month ago. And other than that, I know lots of people who are same-sex couples, but I know I don't know anybody who's trans except for this one friend and and has like had a kid. And that's part of the reason why I asked to be on the podcast actually like I wish I knew more people like me that were doing this. We also have Shira Moss as our guest today. Shira is a nurse practitioner and a midwife and she's actually Dico's midwife. Shira, can you tell us about why you decided to start your practice? I started free to care because I really noticed a need in my uh, community. Um, there is a population of people who weren't being completely served in larger institutions related to trying to get pregnant, except for by a few amazing practitioners who have been doing at-home inseminations for a while. I'm particularly talking about queer families and single people who don't have any identified infertility. It doesn't quite make sense for them to enter into fertility clinics, which are specifically designed for people, mostly straight people who've been struggling for a while to get pregnant and need a little extra help. Dico, so what was your experience like at these clinics? My partner and I, who are both gender nonconforming people, had no idea where to start. There were like two big experiences we had before we met Shira. One was at the center, which is the LGBTQ center in Manhattan, uh, where there was like a parents, like a queer parents family workshop. And we went and we met some really great practitioners from Mount Sinai and other places that are like really proud of how inclusive they are towards trans families. Um, and like that was awesome, but it was also like a whole panel of people in a whole room full of tables and practitioners. It was like very overwhelming. So we knew that this was possible. We did not know where to start. Um, and then the second uh, experience we had was with a clinic in downtown Brooklyn, which was like not specifically marketed towards queer people, um, but it's like more like an infertility clinic. Um, and we did not have such a great experience there because it felt like very impersonal and very over-medicalized. And I walked out of there like crying and feeling like I wasn't going to be able to do this. And it was like a really terrible experience. Part of like why it went so badly is it was a lot of the doctor talking and not a lot of the doctor asking. 
Um, like, I don't even know if they asked me my pronouns, like, or like, just like stuff like that. And like, to me, this is such a gendered experience. And as someone like who uses male pronouns in the world, like, th- it took me so long to get to the place where I could even like conceive, so to speak, of like trying to conceive, right? Because it's a big step, right? That was like not even like wasn't even addressed and it was like like straight to like just like medical things and you know and then like they tried to do like an uh a um a vaginal ultrasound on the first day like i was there for the visit which you know when i talked to other friends they were like well did you have any like history of infertility and i was like no like this is my first and they were like that's kind of a weird first step right and like and i walked out of there just feeling like so embarrassed and like humiliated and just like Like, maybe I couldn't do this after all. And, like, maybe there wasn't a space for me to, like, do this. Was there a shifting point? It really wasn't until, like, I talked to Shira that I felt like actually there was a way that I could do this. And then, like, all the people that Shira put me in touch with, like, helped reaffirm, no, no, like, there is a way that I can do this. Um, I gave you a call. You sounded really friendly and, like, personal and understanding and like welcoming which like when you're a trans person trying to start a family and this thing is i mean it's overwhelming for anybody but when like you're a trans person trying to start a family this is really overwhelming so we needed somebody that just sounded like they got it um and you did and so then we had a consultation like last april and like you sat us down for like three hours and was like okay so here's what you got to do and it was like all of these steps that like like way before we would even start trying to inseminate just that included like you know nutritional changes and exercise changes and lifestyle changes and meeting people like the acupuncturists I've been going to and working with Liza and like all of these steps that I could take to just get myself in a better place before we could even start talking about like actually trying the inseminations I just want to say you're going to make me cry <laughs> <laughs> Are you still doing all of those things yeah. Um, and it's great. I would keep doing it. Like, even if I weren't trying to get pregnant, I just feel like a healthier and like happier person. And I wish someone had told me to do this sooner. This It's great. Like, what are what are some of the things? I've been going to an acupuncturist every week and I go to her every Wednesday and I drink this like swamp water like concoction that she prescribes, <laughs> um, which like she makes loves to prescribe that <laughs> like our apartment smells so strange. But and after the first time, I was like, what is this? And then the second time, I'm like, ooh, I like it. And then it just, you got to like, like you get used to it. Um, and it's just been really like regulating my cycles every month in a way that it's like way less painful than it used to be. And like, that's been really helpful. Also, like through both like Liza and Nicole and Shira, like I just have a much better sense of like what my cycles are supposed to look like and like just a better sense of like what my body is doing. I'm like a fairly well-educated person and it's like kind of infuriating that no one ever bothered to teach me this stuff before, like at a like in a professional, like educational like setting. Right. But nobody ever did. And so there's all this stuff about my body that I just did not know. And I think many people who have bodies like mine just don't know. Um, and it just felt it has felt really empowering to be able to track that and notice that and also to take steps to to change that so that it just I feel healthier um, and I feel better. Can you tell us about your partner a little bit? Oh, yeah, Just... sure. So Berg has been, they go by they, them pronouns. Um, they are a grad student at Princeton. They like study 
19th century German art songs. Um, and I'm not going to pretend to know that much more than that because they're really the expert and I just support them and know a little bit about like some German words now. They're just so smart. And they're, they're really into 19th century German art songs and like poetry and music and how that they interface. Um, and they're also like not at all interested in getting pregnant. Um, and so they have been really supportive of me in this journey. And it's also been like, I mean, I'm sure a really strange thing for them because they're straight. They had only been attracted to cisgender men their entire life um, and had like boyfriends in high school and college that were like cisgender males. And then we fell in love like 10 years ago. Um, and I got <laughs> like we were introduced by a mutual friend. Like as soon as I met them, I was like, oh, my God, like I'm totally into you. And at the time um, they were using like different pronouns and I. I looked, took one look at them and I was like, oh, my God, like, you're totally into me. This is going to be great. And then I found out, like, after I fell in love with them that they were straight. And I was like, are you kidding me? You got me hooked on this straight kid. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> like, Because, like, at the time I was, like, you know, identifying, like, more gay and just, like, had had a girlfriend. And, like, so it was, like, this very, like, odd couple thing from the very beginning where, you know, at first they took a chance on me as someone who wasn't a cisgender male. And now... I'm married to somebody who's like doesn't identify as gay, um, even though I did when I first started dating them. And it's like this beautiful thing that we've like transcended these labels that everyone is trying to put on us. And we don't really care. And we're going to try to have a baby. And everyone's always like, oh, but what's the baby going to call you? And we're like, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Like, whatever. They'll call us Deco and Berg. Who cares? Like, <laughs> like, we'll figure something out. It doesn't have to be so binary that, like, somebody has to be the mom and somebody has to be the dad. Like, we're just going to make it work. And, like, you know, they say that, like, love makes a family. Like, that's that's real. That's a really beautiful love story. Sherry, you have your own midwifery practice. Describe to me what your work is like with clients and why you decided to start Free to Care. I really had this desire to start a practice that where I got to actually work with people in the way that I wanted to so I could take my time with a consult, give very individualized care to people. When I started doing this work, a lot of the reports I got from people who had gone to fertility clinics it sort of felt like it wasn't totally for them. Some people have, like, fine experiences where they say, I mean, it was okay. I didn't really feel like anyone was thinking about my individual body, but it wasn't, like, horrendous. Anything from that to stories that just were really quite upsetting for me to hear, where I felt like people were really taken advantage of or not listened to in a particular way. Do you think that was because they're trans or single or same-sex couples? Most of the stories I've heard are from same-sex couples. There was no understanding that their needs were not the same as the needs of people who are trying to conceive via intercourse. I have a question for Diko. So we were talking earlier, I think maybe Shira mentioned, like one of the differences in terms of Issues with fertility for people who don't necessarily have access to sperm. How is that kind of navigated? And is there any, have, do you have anything that's kind of come up around that? We had a journey in figuring out 
a lot about that, right? And there were like lots, there were like checkpoints in the journey. So like checkpoint number one is, did we want to go with somebody we knew or with somebody we didn't know? And then for a while, like we were going, let's go with somebody we know. So then it was like, okay, um, let's figure out who that person is. And then it's like, okay, then let's figure out how to ask that person. And then it's like, okay, let's figure out how to have that conversation when we ask that person and also ask that person to ask his parents so that his parents like would also be okay with the fact that they would have like a quasi grandchild. So there were just like all these details that many people, including like our lawyers, like advised us they have seen things come up in the past if you don't like preemptively and proactively address this. So all those conversations. And then it was like, okay, now that we said yes and he said yes, now it's like, all right, what test does he have to have? Like, how do we get him in touch with whoever he has to get in touch with to get this testing? Okay. And then it was like, all right, how does he actually like give a sample and what like sperm bank does he go to and that kind of thing? And then what we found with our donor, like, was like his numbers were great thawed, but not, or his numbers were like great fresh, but not great thawed. And because he lives in California and we live in New York, like now it's a whole different issue because it's like, well, the only way we can actually use him after all of this steps of figuring this out, you know, is if either if he's in our city. Right. Mm -hmm. And he lives across the country. And because the timing of this is like so sensitive that you have like this window. Right. That as soon as you like get the ovulation positive test, like and, you know, we got you know, like what tw- tw- we're supposed to do within 12 hours or, you know, the egg lives 12 to 24 hours. Right. It's really hard to like book a cross continental like flight in advance, not you know, you know like not knowing exactly when that window is going to open up. Yeah. Um, so then we kind of put a pause on that. And it's not that that's out of the picture, but we put a pause on that for now. And then we're like, all right, well, then let's go. Someone we don't know. And then it's like, all right, do you go with someone anonymous or do you go with someone open? OK, like in the catalog of people, like what are the things you're prioritizing? And so we had like a really simple like calculus we used to look at this. And like one was we prioritized somebody who was Jewish and then somebody who was healthy. Um, and that really narrowed it down because there were like three Jewish donors. Um, so that made it a little easier. Um, and then we just like went through like the family histories and the person's history Um I mean, they give you a lot of extraneous details, like, you know, like what they majored in in college. And you're like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> you know, how many languages they speak? And we're like, what, what, what do we need? To, we don't need to know this. But like we just kind of looked for like a relatively like healthy person um, who had achieved pregnancy, who like, you know, had the health fact, like the health like criteria that we were looking for. Um, and that's the person that uh, is an anonymous person we have tried with for the last three times that we tried the last three. Well, the only three times we, we've tried so far. How is your family supporting you with your fertility journey? They've been really supportive. My mom especially has, like, gone out of her way just to, like, follow up and, like, like help me, like, feel hopeful and reassure me and, like, just help me f- feel good about it. The people in my family who have given birth, even though they did it in a different way than I did, like, they they get it, right? And, like, they get what it feels like to want to have a kid. Um, and it's, like, been really special to be able to share that with them, um, even though I'm not pregnant yet, like, just just like we're having these conversations now has been really special. Shira, we share a lot of clients together, and I notice that you're always telling them to eat at least every four hours. Can you explain why it's such an important part of fertility? The question related to why eating so regularly is related to blood sugar regulation. Because if um, your body isn't receiving protein regularly throughout the day, then then 
your blood sugar is having peaks and troughs. And in order to compensate from that, your body has to work really, really hard. And that's putting your body, and oftentimes if you're hypoglycemic, meaning you're not getting enough food throughout the day, which is typically what I see because our New York crazy lives mean that people are going six, seven hours without eating anything, and that puts their body into sort of like a like a subclinical crisis, but nothing... Um, but they're but they're simply not receiving enough in order to maintain blood sugar throughout the day. Um, and what that means is that your body, you keep doing your activities of daily life, right? So how are you doing it without if your body's not receiving the nourishment, your adrenals are really releasing stress hormones into your bloodstream, cortisol, adrenaline, et cetera, in order to compensate for the lack of actual nourishment. And since our entire goal in preparing the body for trying to get pregnant is to reduce stress, it's it's literally counterintuitive to what our overall goal is. So it's really significant to regulate your blood sugar throughout the day so that your body doesn't feel like it's in crisis in different moments um, so it can relax enough to conceive. That's one way to put it. In terms of the of why putting on weight, I mean, sometimes that's just a natural consequence of people actually... Um, eating, eating enough, <laughs> eating as much as they should be eating. And sometimes it's around, you know, when people have have been slightly underweight their whole lives, um, the body needs a little fat in order to conceive. I mean, you need a little, you need something in order to be able to have your body know it's not in crisis mode and be able to conceive. So not to say that we're all walking around in crisis mode all the time in New York City, but like, I mean, there's a little (laughs) bit of that happening when we're rushing here and we're grabbing food here and then we're working 100 hours and we're commuting another million hours home and all of a sudden you realize you haven't eaten in X amount of time. That's not like the most relaxing way to let your body go through the world. And I have been a teacher for 12 years, which means that we don't our lunch. My lunch break is literally five minutes long. So it's like eat as quickly as you can. Sometimes this year I don't have a lunch break because I have lunch duties. So it's like this year, one of the changes I've made is like now I have a yogurt with lots of protein every single day during lunch duty that like I am scarfing down while I am watching kids like little things like that, that like I didn't used to do that. I would just kind of like suck it up and just like not eat until I was done teaching. And now I'm like, no, like I'm going to take my snacks. I'm going to do whatever meal prep I need to do. So, like, I always make sure I'm eating every couple hours, even though I have to teach all day. Do you feel better? Yeah, it feels a lot better. And I didn't like it feels healthier, like to not be I mean, like, like I've been so skinny my whole life, like couldn't donate blood kind of skinny, like less than like 110 pounds, like kind of skinny. And now it just feels like I'm not I'm not that like I'm I'm like wearing like average size clothing, which like is a big change for me. And I'm feeling like more energized for the day and like just feeling like, you know, when I wake up and when I, and I'm also getting eight hours of sleep, which is a big change for me as well. Um, and that makes me feel a lot better on days when I when I don't get eight hours, I feel it now. And I'm like, oh, how did I used to do this all the time? That's oh, I got to go back to bed. And, you know, it's there changes that just make me feel healthier. This is Funny Feelings Podcast. This is Maria Guyman. And I'm Liza Ruckel. And we're in the studio with Diko and Shira. 
Dico, can you tell us any stories that have come up that have made you laugh during your fertility journey? Yeah, so there's like two funny stories that come to mind. Um, one is in the last couple of weeks. So there have been a couple of times the last couple of weeks where I like I felt kind of unwell. And not like I was getting a cold, just like just like unwell. And I was like, this is kind of weird. I feel like more tired, feeling like weird things I don't normally feel in my like abdomen. It wasn't like painful, it was just like different. And my, my partner Bergman's is away this week. They're in Berlin right now studying. But like we talk on the phone every day, whatever. And so I'd be like FaceTiming them. I'd be like, hey, I'm feeling really weird, like feeling not, not feeling too good. And Berg be like, oh, I'm really sorry. And I'm like, yeah, but maybe I'm pregnant. And Berg's like, oh, well, maybe I'm not sorry. Maybe I feel better or don't feel better or feel pregnant. And like, didn't it was like this funny, like, I felt bad and they felt bad that I was feeling bad. But also we were like, maybe this is good. I don't know. Um, and then like the second thing that's been really funny has been um, one of the folks who's been like most supportive has been my grandma. Um, and she's my mom's mom. She is Irish Catholic. She's 82 years old. She was the youngest of 12 kids. Um, she herself had two kids. And then she had a still like a baby who died within a day of being born. And, and then after that, she couldn't have any more. And she's just like the, the most loving like person like any of us have ever met right and she's also like this like she's my grandma right so like there's some things like we don't talk about right but through this process like i've been really open with her about like you know bergman and i are going to try to have a family we're, we're trying to i'm going to try to get pregnant and she'd be she'd like say something that's like just like really sweet and grandma that they like like you know i'm really happy for you this is great and then say some stuff really unexpected like uh, but you would have had a lot more fun if you did it the traditional way. And I'd be like, Grandma, <laughs> like, what? And, you know, just like funny things like that, that you wouldn't expect that find their way into conversations um, because of the nature of our specific journey in pregnancy. That is that have been really fun. It's always the best when grandmas are just behind you and kind of into whatever you're doing. Is there anything that you wish you knew about the process before you started that you would want to share with other people in this situation? Like representation really matters. And I get I get so easily like in my head sometimes. It's like I can't do this. And it's just um, my body's not going to be able to do this. And I'm not going to be able to do this. And like that's I know that I have to like get out of that in order for this to actually work. And also just like to be a happier person and like like OK. Um, but it's really hard to do that when you just don't see who you're trying to be represented in the world. And I know that we're out there, like, so to speak, but like, we're just not as visible. And like an example is when I was at the the family planning workshop for trans and queer parents. And I remember at the, like the parent panel portion of the evening, they had like these five gay couples up front of like, like 10 men. Right. And they were like about to tell their story. And in my head, I'm like, oh, wow, like, that's great. There are some gay couples talking about adopting. And then all five of them started talking and it turns out all five of them were trans and like one of them was a gestational parent. And I was like, oh, my God, I didn't even recognize this when it was literally right in front of me because I've just been so conditioned to believe that this is just not a thing that happens. And it's happening like all around me, but I'm just not seeing it. I think what I would like other people to know or what I wish I had known was that this can happen and this can happen. Like, regardless of what your gender is, what your sexuality is, like, if you have a uterus, this can happen. Um, and even if you can't have a uterus, there are ways that you can make this happen. And I just, like, think that the, 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 the wider that we can, like, amplify that message of, like, representation and that, like, like non-traditional 
families exist and non-traditional gestational parents exist, the easier it's going to be for people like me to, to actually be able to start families. Thank you so much, Shira and Diko. Diko, it's so sweet to meet you. Likewise, thanks for having us. <laughs> of thank course. Thank you, Diko, and thank you, Shira. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a beautiful journey knowing both of you. This is Funny Feelings Podcast, Maria Gaiman and Liza Ruckel. And our guests today were Shira Moss of Frida Care and Diko, who has so graciously shared his story with us. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Have a good (laughs) night. Bye. Bye. Please visit our website, funnyfeelingspodcast.com, if you want to connect with any of us, and follow us on Instagram at funnyfeelingspodcast. 